1: Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chansey. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success, along with strategies of the 1%. And now, here's your host, Matt Chansey. Matt Chansey with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. All right. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Tax Alpha Solutions podcast with Matt Chansey. Today, I am here with special guest, Jonathan Wilson. Jonathan is a dynamic leader focused on organic and inorganic value creation for startup, fintech, and more traditional organizations. He currently runs his own M&A and strategy consulting firm, Dub Value Creation, Where his clients benefit from his experience working with many Fortune 500 companies while managing, by being a management consultant for Accenture and Deloitte. Jonathan holds an MBA from the UCLA Anderson School of Management and a BS in chemical engineering from the University of California, San Diego. As a native Angelino, Jonathan Wilson is passionate about diversity and inclusion in his Los Angeles community. He currently serves as the chair of the Social Justice Task Force for the City of West Hollywood and president of the UCLA Anderson Black Alumni Association. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. This is a great opportunity. So, thank you. Well, well, well I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the best I can to live up to that standard of making it a great opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> You're already doing it. There you go. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. And I think for me, kind of the obvious thing is, you know, you've got a a very credentialed past, right? Accenture, Deloitte and all that. What prompted you to become the entrepreneur that you are and start your own consulting firm in the M&A space? What made you, because not everybody's got the the want, the drive, the desire to want to break out and do that. What caused that? I was ready. I mean, I think I had been
0: doing consulting and I also worked for Bank of America. I'd I'd worked for large corporations for 17 years at that point. And this is a 2017. So maybe it was 18 years, right? So um, I just said, look, I need to start my own company, see what it's like. And just if I'm going to fail, I want to know that I'm feeling on my own. (laughs) If I'm going to succeed, then I want to know that that weren't implemented, maybe they could have worked at other companies. So, so sure. I uh, so I tried it out, and I went on my own. And the first couple years were painful. <laughs> <laughs> I'll even give myself uh, three years into that because uh, 2020 was also painful, but um, but definitely 2021 um, picked up, and 2020 actually ended up not being as bad. You know, this year we're off to a great start as well. So awesome.
1: Awesome. Well, look, that's kind of the entrepreneur's journey, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's uh, there's ups and downs, right? There's a lot of people that want the the benefits that come with it, but there's very few people that are willing to take the risk associated with it. Right. right. Yeah. And that's the whole point, right? You you think, oh, well, I'm going
0: to be earning my same salary at a minimum. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Yeah. <laughs> there's no I cushions. didn't realize I was going to have a time when I was actually not even going to be able to afford to eat. <laughs> so I was like, oh. Well, what is this?
1: You know, there's there's advantages to not being able to eat, right? Uh it's uh <laughs> well, you have to spend less time in the gym when you, you can't eat quite as much. you can't even afford the gym, right? You can't
0: afford the gym, you can't afford to eat. You're like, what am I doing? <laughs> I had a cushion job, what was I thinking? <laughs>
1: Uh, Well, you know what, but when you get to the other side, it's all you can look back and you can be like, hey, you know what, this is why I did what I did, right? Yeah, I'm
0: loving it. I actually really am loving it. And I have a small team. We're small and mighty. Um, there's three of us and I just love helping them grow every day and learn things. And, um, we're able to work with some really great clients. So that also very, very much is, you know, part of the path. So it's uh, being able to choose your clients, choose your adventures and, um, you know, work with great people.
1: Well, so let's talk about that. That's an interesting point. So, you got three and mighty. So, where does somebody that strikes out on their own like this and, you know, relatively new in the space, doing this for a few years, getting over the hump, where do you find the three and mighty? Where do you find the other three people that are like, this is a good idea? Let's go do this. Let's make this happen. Well, keep in mind.
0: So, someone said, I've kissed a lot of frogs, <laughs> <laughs> right? I kissed a lot of frogs along the way and uh, ended up with some really great people. So, um, really I started off kind of doing more business partnerships, right. Making sure that I'm aligning with certain people and really some of those really worked out and they, and really helped me accelerate my business fine tune my ways of interacting with other, with other businesses. Um, It really, that was a beneficial part of the journey um, starting off with kind of partnering with others. The other piece then became more around, okay, how do I have someone full time and, and help them, Kind of learn some of the things that I've learned over the years, but in a quicker amount of time, so <laughs> we can accelerate and and move forward and help our clients as, as quickly as possible, right? That's the challenge, right? And so some people um, are up for the journey, and some people just want to get a paycheck, and the people who want to get into paycheck are not the people that need to be working with me because I'm not like that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so, so that was a quick um I didn't really I thought I could interview for that, and I didn't ask certain questions. And so I had to change. I had to change some of the ways that I ask questions. Like, for example, um, now I I implement a kind of case study exercise that um, allows me to really identify how people operate under stress. And so because the thing is that MA, no matter what you think, <laughs> it's stressful, right? Even if you aren't um, on the front lines, if you aren't negotiating, it doesn't matter. Like, it's just... You're talking about someone's baby here, right? Someone owned it for, owned this company, let's say it could be anywhere from five years to, you know, let's say 20 years, right? So either way, they become attached to it in some way, some form or fashion, mm-hmm. right? And then you have somebody else that's saying, you know, here, I'm going to put a dollar amount
1: on your baby.
0: <laughs> so so mm-hmm. it's, it's a little bit of a, it's a moment,
1: right? Yeah. And if that dollar amount's lower than what they thought in their head, that's like calling somebody's baby ugly.
0: Oh, it is. Like, What do you mean my baby's ugly, right? Same thing, right? It's like, well, your baby has this nick on it. <laughs> There's a scar on its uh, Like <laughs> Looks like somebody <laughs> dropped your baby on his head a few times. Like, yeah. <laughs> right. So, no, I mean, people have all sorts of stuff they worked on in their companies, and they they think it's great, and that's great that they think it's great, but it may not be worth anything to somebody else. So that's the hard part for people to really um, understand. And I've worked on both sides of that, right? From the buy side to the sell side. You really want to help the seller see see that not everything is going to be valuable to a buyer. Uh, And if they have revenue coming from that, they can get money for it. It's just not going to be an additive. (laughs) So so that's just something that it's hard to really um, work with that, you know, to help sellers really understand that. From the buy side perspective, I mean, it's just, it's pretty crystal clear. Like this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Right. So I think buyers are pretty clear on what they want. Well, sure. I should say towards, once they look at all of the the, uh, when they see the full kimono.
1: <laughs> so. all right. When they see everything that's going on, they right. understand. You're like, yeah, totally understand that perspective. It's different when you're looking at it from the buy side because you're like, well, these pieces I like and I want to buy this stuff, but this stuff, uh, I'm going to get rid of it anyway. I don't necessarily want to give assign any value to these elements of it because I'm not going to use it anyway. So totally understand. The
0: hard part too is actually, I mean, due diligence, right? You're really trying to validate everything that the seller has been telling you, right? And so asking all of the right questions is very important. Making sure you're looking at all the potential risks and synergies um, across all elements, not just the financials is very key. And I think sometimes people get caught up in, well, what do the financials say? The way that a company works and the way that they operate in the management style, there's a lot to understand in terms of what you have to unpack, once it becomes part of your organization. So yeah, we have a pretty good system in terms of how we advise our clients due diligence phase. And then um, also we work with them, partner with them on integration as well. So, but yes, we have a pretty good system when it comes to that stuff.
1: Good, good. Well, integration is where when the rubber hits the road, right? Like, can we, you know, a lot of people talk in that space about um, fit or culture, right? Will the culture from the previous business carry over with new ownership? Is there some consistency and will it work or will it not work? I mean, how big is that conversation? I mean, obviously, culture in your own personal business made a big deal because you just basically said, I got to find people, I got to find a way to interview people that want to kill what they eat, right? And if I find somebody that culturally doesn't want to do it that way, that's a ton of friction, you know? And I've experienced it training people in my own space. So, like, oh, I learned what you learned in like a year. And I'm like, you learned what I learned in a year because I gave you the synthesized version of it yeah. after 15 <laughs> years of trial and error. And I excluded all of the bad nonsensical stuff, right? That's exactly right. Exactly Um, right. It seems easy when you hear me talk about it now because you didn't go through the 14 years of misinformation that I had to muddle through to kind of figure out this this version of it, right?
0: People telling you stuff that's not even right. You're like, why am I doing this? And then you realize, oh, they weren't right.
1: They weren't (laughs) right. Yeah, that person, not so much an expert. So I get it. So how do you do that from, so part of your due diligence process, obviously we're not talking about the financials right now, but how do you, you know, what processes do you go through to make sure culturally a fit? Is it a gut thing? Are there some um, analytical tools that you ultimately use? Like, and I don't want to, like a Colby or a Myers-Briggs or something to see how people are wired in, or do you have your own process for how you say, you know, culturally this, this should work?
0: I have to tell you that it's culture fit isn't always important. And the reason why it's not always important, it depends on what you're buying the company for right? Okay. If you want the people and the talent, that to me becomes important. Okay. If on the other hand, you're just <laughs> looking for their customer base so you can cross-sell or you're looking for their technology that, so you feel, could you feel like you can actually kind of embed it within your systems and, and work with it and it can help you run faster? You know, there's different reasons why people buy companies. And if you're not looking for the people element, then it's really not a huge deal. However, in today's world, we are very much interconnected now with the way that people think and the way that a business operates. So, so I would probably argue to say that more often than not, culture fit is going to be something that you're going to have to dive into. Um, I'm working with a company, you know, right now we're working on integration. We really want to keep their culture intact. And that's one of the big things. And I applaud the CEO for that. And keeping their um, culture intact, you really want to think through, okay, am I making sure globally that I'm engaging all the right people? Do we want to make sure that we're looking at some of the DEI initiatives and helping them to continue on with those initiatives that they're doing today? Um, how do we make sure that our other policies and procedures that we are might be modifying don't compromise the very culture they've built over the past 20, 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. So those are things that we're thinking through as we do the integration. And we actually have um, that as a target, targeted part of our work stream. So I think culture should be a work stream in your integration phase for sure.
1: Very cool. Interesting. I've never heard the term work stream before. (laughs) Elaborate on that, where that came from.
0: So work stream, um, those are different, what I would call tranches of work. So different areas of, of focus, Um, and typically they're functional areas. So you would have something along the lines of, let's say finance. Um, You'd have maybe something for tax. You'd have something for um, sourcing or procurement. Um, You'd have different areas. So HR being one of them, typically the big areas are HR, finance, um, technology. Those are the ones that are probably the ones that-
1: Sales and what are you doing for sales? What are you doing for- for Sales Supply chain, chain, operations,
0: Yeah, if you're a consumer products company, definitely supply chain is a major topic nowadays. So having people that are experts in those certain areas or... Having, you know, having team members um, that are both from the buy side and the sell side of the integration that are familiar with how it works at the organizations so they can collaborate and identify something that will work going forward is very important, right? So even if you aren't looking to change someone's supply chain operations, it's important to understand what they do so you guys can partner effectively together, right? So understanding how these work streams and functional areas um operate is very is very key to successful integration in my mind and that's also part of what you're what you're purchasing right you're purchasing for your ability to have revenue synergies as well as cost synergies right
1: sure well you're hopeful that's uh the holy grail, right? That there's synergies. On, there's two ways to expand or increase the value of a business. One is sell more of whatever it sells, right? And number two is create cost or, you know, efficiencies on the backside, right? Drive Absolutely. down the expenses to sell more widgets, you know, it, it creates more profit, right? Two yeah. ways to skin that cat. And
0: yeah, and sometimes it's not even about the cost synergies. It's just really about the revenue synergies, right? So it could be sure.
1: and or, right? Sure. Interesting. No, thanks for kind of indulging a little bit there. That, that helps make... Yeah. It helps make a lot of sense. You know, I think not everybody, everybody's trying to buy a business for a different reason. Everybody's kind of got their own agenda. And to your point, it's maybe we don't even want the humans, right? I just want the customer list right, or whatever it is. So, you know, understanding what the purpose is, what the reasons are for that buyer. So in, in, in our pre-call. I meeting, also that it's important if, if someone is selling their company
0: mm-hmm. and if they have a tie to their people, that they make sure they vet the buyer's desire, least stated desire
1: <laughs> when it comes to their people. you have any stories on that specifically where somebody was, because I have a really good story in that particular space where somebody particularly sold a business and they retain them on a, you know, a, few years earnout agreement type deal and after about six months of the earnout they started making them fire legacy employees right that have been there people that were considered like family that have been with the core business for like 20 and 30 years are like yeah that person's just obsolete in our business model on a go-forward basis and they're like yeah that person's like my aunt she's been here for like 30 years I can't you know we like so that's how big an issue is that in your, in your thing? Hey, we're going we're gonna to let some of these people go. We don't see all of these people surviving the transition. Is that a reason for a seller to sell or not sell? So I
0: don't think that people come in with that crystal clear of a picture of like, we're going to get rid of all the people. I think they have a certain way of thinking and their thought process is that we'll see how these people do in the new organization. And, you know to be quite frank not everybody is looking to change their mindset <laughs> once they're working for a new owner <laughs> they may not want to change their mindset they may not want to do things according to the way the new <laughs> boss does things so sometimes people need to go <laughs> that's when that changes but there's other times where you know the new owner has to think about does this company have the capabilities that I need to move forward and then maybe what are some of the, I guess you could call roadblocks to achieving those capabilities. And after getting a deeper sense of how the how the organization operates, you can really understand what your kind of strategy looks like. We can understand what, who your players are going to be. And, and after a few months, you have a much better sense um, into the integration stage. But I don't think people start off with the sense of we're going to wipe out all their people. Um, I think the whole point is it should be good intentions. Right. So. Well, if, even if
1: they did, they wouldn't disclose it. Right.
0: Right. If, if someone says, you know, we're, we're really excited about your technology. If they aren't asking questions about your people, that's a sign. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? You mean you have, you mean you have people in your business really? Okay. Great. Right. That,
0: yeah. <laughs> if they aren't asking questions about your people, about your, you know, your benefits, your policies, Uh, If they aren't asking questions like questions like that,
1: then they may not care about your subtle red flags, right? If, if as a seller, you're concerned with the legacy of the people that you've given jobs to, and that matters to you, right? Like, would you say that that matters to all people, all sellers of all businesses? Are they concerned with the employees that they left behind? I wouldn't say, well,
0: the people that I work with, Yes. But I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the case for all sellers. Sometimes sellers in a really bad situation, somebody might be sick with cancer in their family and they have true. to sell their business. There's all sorts of reasons why people have to sell. And it's, yeah. some of it is really unfortunate, right? Um, it's true. A lot of times business owners aren't thinking about their exit plan. <laughs> so yeah. um, when they do sell, it's like, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm too old now and I just need to, you know, move on. Right. Well, If you've been thinking that way for the past 15 years, you might be in a different spot than if you're thinking about that way for the past year. (laughs) Right. So very true. One of those things like that is just a we're all victim of our own circumstances, right? So that's kind of the way it goes.
1: There is no perfect linear path to get coming to the conclusion that it's time to sell. We all get, everybody gets there kind of in a different way with different goals, objectives, outcomes. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a one size fits all solution. It's very custom for every person. Well, that's why I advise every business
0: owner to think about the exit exit plan. What is your exit plan? Even if you know, you don't want to sell right now, Mm -hmm. eventually you're going to have to, your company is going to have to go away. Right. So whether you're here or not, the company will will be changing, right? So the question is, what can you do to prepare for that? So um, do you see yourself leaving it to your heirs? Do you see yourself selling it to a third party? You know, sometimes people say there's no way. So they can eliminate what they don't want to do. Which right. Is, that's one step in the right direction for, for planning, right? And Eliminate what you don't want to do. And then the other side of it also is thinking through, okay, what are the elements that I that I need to be working towards and to make sure someone else could take this over, right? So uh, it's taking yourself out of the center, right? Making sure you don't have too much reliance on any one customer, mm-hmm. making sure that any of your suppliers or third parties, right? You don't have any too, too much reliance on them, right? So you want to make sure you're diversifying across the board. You want to make sure that you are, raising your your staff to become excellent managers right because ultimately even if you get hit by a car and you're gone for three months someone's got to take over right so um you got to make sure they know things that you know are going to help business
1: keep going sure yeah. Yeah. You can't let the humans be a bottleneck in the whole process. The machine has to work uh, irrespective of who the humans are. You, have to, you can plug and play. So that's it's hard to get to that point, but that's that should be the ultimate goal, right?
0: Well, that is the ultimate goal. But the other part too to that is that many times owners forget to think that they're human too. So they, they think that it's everybody else that needs to be able to be replaced. No, no, no. You also need to be able to be replaced. Yeah. So that is the point. But I think a lot of times owners are just like, oh, well, I have everything set. So if anybody leaves, well, what about you?
1: What about you? What if you're not there to pay, take the phone calls for a week? Like, would right. it still persist? Would it go right. on? Right? right. Makes a lot of sense. So in our pre-call, you brought up something talking about the differences. You know, you look at a couple of different silos, uh, regulated and non-regulated industries. Right. right. Absolutely. So talk to me a little bit about that, about how you've seen the, you know, maybe it's not startup or middle market or whatever it is, anymore. It's regulated and non-regulated. Maybe it's different view lens that you see it through today and explain why that is.
0: After doing this on my own for quite a while, I started realizing I think when you work for the larger companies, it's really more about what industry are you focused in on. Mm -hmm. And I think there I don't know if industry matters as much. There are different, there are definitely different parts of industries that do matter, right? So for example. I never pretend like I'm an expert in the media space. Like that's just not an area entertainment and media, that's not an area where I'm most likely going to thrive or a company is going to do extremely well in. Um, however, I will say that I have found that uh, med tech has been an area where we've actually done well, partly because we have familiarity with financial services, which is a highly regulated industry. So having worked with banks and having worked with um, all sorts of diversified financial institutions i okay. think that lends itself to be able to understand the mindset of, of other highly regulated industries and then at the same time too there are there are industries like uh consumer products right so being able to work in various elements of consumer products which are not always regulated right so but there are elements to it i mean there's some if you talk about product safety etc right? Sure. But it's not the same level of rigor that you have to go through for health or financial services, right? Sure. So it's slightly different. Um, the other side is going to be technology, right? There are some laws around technology, but you can't say that it's a heavily regulated space, which is part of the challenge we're all, we're all seeing, right? With social media, et cetera. And that, you know, there will be something that changes with that. but But when you think about how to implement those ways of working in those functional work streams that I was talking about earlier, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's going to matter a lot more, right? So the rigor that you look at when you start looking at who do we want to be in three months, who do we want to be a year from now, and who do we want to be long-term as we integrate, you know, that's going to be something that you really think through. It's going to be different if you're regulated versus non-regulated. Also, You have to make sure there are certain hurdles that you have to hit if you are a regulated organization, right? Sure. Uh, sure. There's EEOC compliance is another thing that hits all businesses, right? You have to make sure that you're EEOC compliant when you're over a certain threshold, I should say, of employees. So,
1: well, there's you know the regulated thing is a blessing and a curse, right? And on one side, it's a barrier to entry; it doesn't let just anybody slide into the space. There, there has to be some. Some underlying expertise, licensure, or whatever that goes with it, you know, and right. so that could be that could be a good thing and a bad thing, right? Uh, keeping keeping some people out.
0: Well, yeah, but it put and it put and it, it just you have to have a different lens when you're doing the integration side because you have to make sure that you are compliant, right? Right, and um, and your list of what you're compliant for is much heavier for the heavily regulated industries versus the
1: light touch regulations, right? Sure. So, uh, I kind of like wish the person. consumer product space was a little bit more regulated because my experience, and you maybe can speak to this, is in the consumer product space, the way that people market today, you can market really well a pretty lousy product. And if you're a great marketer of it, you could build a good business around a pretty lousy product, right? Um, Whereas- rock, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an example of such like- a great idea <laughs> to sell something that really that gave no value whatsoever.
1: None, None <laughs> has negative value. Actually, but, You <laughs> know what? They made a lot of money. We <laughs> did.
0: I never shame the entrepreneur because it's really the people that bought
1: it. <laughs> sure, but to your point. So like, I'll give you an example. I think I saw, you know, last night I was watching television. There was a random TV commercial on about uh, like a bite guard, a mouth bite guard. Right. And you know, it's, it doesn't say, you know, FDA f- approval and all the other stuff, but best technology in the market. You won't grind your teeth anymore on the other stuff. But how do I know that? Like, how do I, you right. know, I'm saying I don't know that, right? Like, who, who validated that? Like, yeah, I want to see some sort
0: of yeah. some quality
1: check on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Other than yeah. some guy on TV on late night hitting it with a hammer, proving that it's made out of some super durable polymer or something like that. Right. So. Yeah.
0: I'm sure there's something that there's a loophole they went through to to right,
1: and that's my point. Like, there's so many over-the-top, outlandish, you know, uh, uh, claims that a lot of consumer products make today. It's almost just a sea of you know over-the-topness, right? Like, how do you know if any of that is valid or real or true or
0: whatever? Advertising, though, can be um, you can be penalized for false advertising. That is the only thing that we can actually hold people accountable to, right? Or entrepreneurs accountable to is false advertising. Lemon laws, et cetera,
1: right? Sure, okay. Makes sense. So there's recourse in that stuff too. I got you, makes sense. It isn't the only thing, but those are... No, no, for sure. sure. So as this evolutionary process of your your new consulting firm and finding the right people and finding the business owners, so how do you find the business owners that you work with today? How do you find them or how do they find you? And how selective are you in your process, you know, determining about who you want to work with?
0: We're at a decent stage that we've been doing this for a while now that um, we're getting referrals. So, and uh, we're getting repeat business. And, um, also we have an excellent marketing group, um, that we're partnering with and yeah. So we have different people that also have their feelers out for us as well. So in the marketplace that are, you know, I call them brokers. <laughs> so, you know, they say, Hey, look, we know this company that wants to hire an m and expert. You know, are you guys available to help out? And we say, you know what, let's take a look. Let's talk to the company. Let's learn more about what they're doing. And again, so I, the type of entrepreneur that, or type of business owner or C-suite that I work with, I like those that are pushing the envelope a little bit. Those that want to see change, positive mindset, um, understand that status quo isn't good enough. Um, Those are the people that I enjoy working with. A lot of times it might be, we want to grow before we sell. So it's just those types of mindsets are the tend to be the type of C suite people that I do well with. Sure, and that's who I partner with. So that's kind of a the interview is a little bit of a mutual ways, but a lot of times if, if we're talking to each other, it's usually because we've already gelled on some level, where, whether it's written communication or um, a verbal phone call or something like that. So.
1: Sure, sure. So how many, I guess, so, you know, historically, a business model on the acquisition side on the buy side would be somebody looking to just aggregate businesses, right? Aggregate cash flow, find some efficiencies on the backside. But based on your last statement, it sounds like, you know, uh, a space that's more interesting to you is not somebody just trying to click together a bunch of smaller businesses to create a big business that's similar, but to find somebody that's doing something materially different to an existing industry that's going to make a change, it's going to create growth.
0: Well, yes and no, right? So I really look at, I think M&A is very important in the sense that it has to fit into your overall strategy. You have to have a vision for your company, right? And if you are buying a company or purchasing an organization, it's because they have a capability that you want to either enhance or that you just want to have or purchase, Right. So that capability though has to fit into your overall vision, right? You can't just say it's not the time of the sixties anymore. It's not, it's not the time where you, uh, you know, you sell clothes, but you also sell tires, (laughs) you know, it's, that's really not the model. I think we are doing, there are more roll-up strategies that are happening now. I think that tends to be, that's like a really big, Trends right now, that um, mm-hmm. and SPACs, of course. But when you talk about roll-up strategies, that's that's a big one, right? So how do we get a bunch of different, you know, marketing agencies and make make one big agency, right? And so that's still being done today. But the question is, for me, is I want to make sure it's purposeful and intentional, and that the, someone at the top is saying this fits with this because they have a technology. Sure. This fits with this because the CEO that works at this company currently is great at managing people, but does not really great at always executing. Mm-hmm. And this company is really good at execution, but he's not always great at this people's people hate him, Right. So then it's like merging those two together. It's like, okay, maybe that can make a really good company. You know, sure. like something, someone who's thoughtful around that, around how that how that's going to work together and has a big bigger vision not thinking about just three months out or just one year out, but more like three to five years
1: out. Sure. And in some cases, it's 10 years out, but... Yeah, yeah, look, a lot of ideas are a dime a dozen. The execution of the ideas 100, are, are, really hits the road, right? Can you get in there and can you actually do it? You can see it, but you can't always get to what you can see. It's just, you know, the, the pieces are too complicated sometimes. So do you ever see... Analogy, by
0: the way, that's a very big point, by the way. A lot of people say they can do things... And they just don't execute. And that is where our company um, definitely excels. We help you create the strategy. We also will help you execute the strategy.
1: (laughs) So it's all right. So that, that begs a question, right? Have you seen business owners come to you that are, that are have articulated their strategy and what they're looking to do. And you look at it from a strategy standpoint and based on your knowledge and experience, you kind of fundamentally disagree that that strategy is going to work.
0: Yeah. And I'll tell them. Yeah. In fact, actually, I just got up the phone with um, an old client from last year who they wanted to buy a bunch of companies and they had hired me to do that. <laughs> and I could have just said, okay, yeah, great. Um, but we started digging in and I started realizing, like, their management team is swamped. (laughs) Like they have no time to even talk to each other. No, How are they going to bring on new companies that work for them? Mm -hmm. And I said, this is just not, this is not going to work. And I was quite frank with the CEO and he's like, I get that. (laughs) And we talked a little bit more. And then he said, you know, I I think you're right. So they chose to go a different path. They actually ended up uh, getting bought. So Instead of being a buyer, they're like, hey, maybe you're right. Let's be a seller. (laughs) But that's kind of what happens, right? It's like realizing, like, understand where you are, right? And make sure your strategy makes sense for the way your organization is structured. So I think the right consultant will help you pressure test your strategy.
1: Okay. There you go. makes a lot of sense. So I guess the other side of that would be if you've seen somebody trying to strategically do something that you thought was a bad idea, have you brought ideas to people when they were talking about putting something together that was super valuable, a blind spot that maybe they didn't see from a strategic or consulting standpoint? That's literally why they hire me and not to, not to give away the secret sauce. Maybe you have an example. I don't want you to disclose any, you know, proprietary information or anything, but have an example of something. Maybe you brought to the table for somebody that was literally just a, so that's, that's interesting to me. Okay. Wait a minute. Hold on. Let me think through that for a second. So, so somebody comes to you and says, I'm going to hire you as a strategy consultant and I am in this business and I'm thinking about buying it. Is it as, as open-ended as, I want to grow through strategic acquisition. In your professional opinion, what should I be looking to buy and why? Is it really that open ended or is it more targeted? No.
0: no, they think they want to do something, and no one's told them that, no one's told them what they need to be thinking about in order to be able to achieve their vision. That's a lot of what it is. And so, um, just having been doing this for 22 years, yeah, you've seen see it. it. I can see what the issues are. And I ask questions and they're like, Oh, I get that. Or, Oh, I need to think about this or, Oh, I need to change that. So it's just, it's a natural part of dialogue. I think that's why you want to have a consultant because we all have blind spots. Sure. And even, even for me, I hire people that to help me out because I know that I have blind spots because I'm looking at my own company. Right. So mm-hmm.
1: theoretically Blinders. I have
0: to be able to do my own bookkeeping, right? Like, But (laughs)
1: that's not a good idea for me to be looking at bias, blind spots, overconfidence, (laughs) right, all those things. I can do that. You're like, yeah, nobody else has ever. So
0: I don't see why you can't. Right. Right. You know, you just need to be able to always just recognize that
1: we are objective
0: when we think of ourselves, right? So. Sure, sure.
1: So when you're working on this, so, so I'm going to flip to that. That's very interesting going down that little rabbit hole. Thanks for sharing. Like, um, So when you're looking at the sell side of an engagement and somebody's thinking about potentially, hey, maybe it is time to sell, you know, I find sellers fit into a few different boxes. You know, the ones that are, that's hey, I'm going to sell this thing. And then um, maybe I'm going to get into a new thing, a new business. I learned something in this business that made me think I'm in the wrong business. I want to be in a different business. I want to jettison all this. And I want to get into something else. But you also have those people that are maybe at or near retirement or not sure what they want to do. Maybe they don't want to launch right into a new business. And so some of the stuff we see on our side is biz- people say, you know, hey, I got three primary concerns. You know, if I sold the business, what do I do with all this money? I can't stick it in the bank account because the bank yields nothing, right? Like, and we live off of income, not assets. So where could I reposition these dollars, a new business, a piece of real estate, an investment portfolio, wherever they can generate income that I can live off of? And how do I mitigate taxes in a significant way? Not that you get into that conversation and have it. I'm not suggesting that, but what are those conversations like that? Are they coming up? Are sell-side people concerned with those things? Are those roles and responsibilities for the other advisors? And do you collaborate and talk with their other attorneys and CPAs and their legacy advisors that, that get them to this process?
0: So I like that you asked that question because I think people do assume that I'm giving the overarching advice around what people want to do with their excess capital. And the truth of the matter is I am not that person. Yeah. <laughs> I am not that person. Um, if you have a goal of wanting to grow by acquisition or inorganically um, through, it, it can also be partnerships, right? Or JVs, et cetera. So many ways of grow inorganically. If you have ways to grow your revenue, call me, right? And even if it's organic growth. However, if you're looking for a place to put your money, <laughs> that's very different conversation. So that's that's how I divide the two. And if sometimes I'm, I talk to people who are just telling me like, look, I have a client and um, they're thinking about purchasing a company. Great. <laughs> have them talk to me. We can pressure test together and figure out the right thing for them. But they got to have that concept already and be going sure. examining that path. Right.
1: Sure. Yeah. Not,
0: not everybody's. So remember intentional. I like intentional um, clients.
1: Yes, agreed. Even if their intentions aren't necessarily as uh, as accurately guided as you would want right. them to be, at least they kind of have a direction, right? You know, they're well, like none of our ideas are always fine tuned until we talk about them.
0: <laughs> we all gotta, think that, like, oh yeah, it's a perfect idea. I have this great idea. I want a house that
1: flies. Yeah, yeah
0: great idea
1: yeah right? let's, let's talk to the problem. contractor about that and see what he says
0: <laughs> right it's the whole thing right you talk to and you're like oh maybe that's really hard to do
1: <laughs> yeah maybe that's not to this yes but i saw it in that disney movie oh. Up, <laughs> <laughs> right? we right. could just strap a balloon to the top and you're like well maybe not mary Poppins does it <laughs> <laughs> understood fair enough that's great feedback great feedback well you know um so we're kind of getting, getting towards the end of our time here a little bit. It's been a lot of fun and I appreciate you sharing Yeah, I know. It's been fun. What have I not asked? What if, if the roles were reversed, what should I have asked or what should I know or that people need to know about the space and about this conversation? You know, what what would be a blind spot? Or not a blind spot, maybe an opportunity, right? What's an opportunity that we did not discuss if it's not a blind spot?
0: I think the real thing, it's maybe not a blind spot, but I, I really hope that people walk away with thinking about their strategy for their organizations before they think about, acquisition or, um, selling or, um, growing in general, I really hope that they're, they're really thoughtful around their strategic plan and their vision. And I think that's, what's going to tell you what you need to do to make things happen.
1: Sure. Just don't overthink and never execute.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just don't make a whole bunch of ideas uh,
1: written down on paper, but never. I sooner or later, pull the trigger. If you're thinking about it, the first step is go find a strategic management consultant that can say, hey, let's brainstorm this thing out and let's see if it makes sense.
0: Hands down, call me. <laughs> www.dubvalue.com.
1: Call us. There you go. There, there you go. go. <laughs> and that segues right into how we would find Jonathan, right? So, absolutely. absolutely. Well, Jonathan, like I said, it was a pleasure having you on today. Really appreciate your energy and sharing your insight in the business. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience that business owners need to know about. And uh, I just can't thank you enough for coming on today.
0: It's been fun. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and, um, and get to know you as well. So, thanks.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Thanks so much. So everybody, this was another episode of the the Tax Alpha Solutions podcast, and uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Jonathan Wilson. And all of his information will be available on uh, on the bottom of the podcast link. So it will be it'll thanks. it'll be over there. Thank you again for the opportunity. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Talk soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chansey. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.